Check, check, check. Cohen with a K. Cohen with a K. Cohen with a K. Hey. Okay. Cohen with an AK. No, that's not me. Cohen with an AK. No. This guy. This guy over <laughs> here. <laughs> All right. This will be edited out. This, is just, this will be. Uh, this could be. Let's see. All right. Okay. Mashing the podcast. So, uh, <laughs> welcome back. Oh, welcome. Welcome, Luke. Welcome, everybody, to uh, Real Talk Stories. All right. Live in Bali, where everyone's got a story. Everybody's got a story. And um, today, we have been blessed with the gracious presence of uh, Mr. Uh, Luke Luke uh, Cohen. Good to be here with you. Uh, just a little intro. Uh, I met Luke at an amazing event at this beautiful resort on the eastern coast of Bali for Halloween. He was... He was, uh, it was like the morning after the event and we were having a big breakfast down by the beach and, um, he, he really attracted my interest, you know, cause he was speaking on a lot of things that I found very relevant, not just to myself as an individual, uh, but to the local community here in Bali, as well as to the global community as a whole. So, um, you know, I, I asked him if he wanted to come by and he, he, um, you know, he, he accepted the invitation, so here he is, and I'm gonna let him intro himself because I'm sure he could do it a lot better than I can. So why don't you just say pretty much where you're at and what you're doing, and also how people can um, the best way people can contact you before we get going. Okay, can do with that. Yeah, so basically, um, I've been at the intersection of sort of uh, consciousness raising. Technology, I'll call it technology. Um, universal wisdom traditions, entrepreneurship, transformation of festival culture, and community building for a while. Uh, I had a healing crisis in college when I was a young man at 22 that got me on my path. And so I've been sort of apprenticing with uh, a lot of different kind of healers and teachers over the years to, to heal myself. And that eventually led me to guiding others. And so I've been working professionally with people, ma- mainly leaders, uh, since about 2008. Um, but yeah, I've wear I've a lot of different hats over the years. Um, I'm also an artist. So I, like to, I like to say hardest. Um, spoken word. Um, a lot of transmissions, a lot of content online. So I'm a, I'm a creator. So a lot of going in on a lot of t- a subject matter. But um, I'm really here to, to help create a new narrative and help create a new culture and give some context to what's happening on our planet. And so, yeah, so some one-on-one work on the back end, on the front end, music and spoken word and sort of professional speaking and storytelling and then uh, on the sidelines, uh, organizing with other leaders and communities and helping bridge worlds. Yeah. And that's, that's, that's your main focus right now? Yeah, is is my work as a bard, you know, is, is to tell the new narrative, is, is, oh. is the music, is the spoken word, is the storytelling. And then equally important in that, space is yeah the community building is the um you know helping different leaders like learn how to play together and and build more coherent systems and uh functional systems you know like getting out of the lone wolf mentality or the solopreneur mentality and into into movement building and playing my role as someone that's been been in a lot of different like you know i've, I've spent a lot of time in a lot of different eco villages and ashrams and like community settings where the gifts and the challenges of being you know in community teach us how to how to play and refine how we yeah play with others 
So those are two big parts of my, of my life right now is building community and making music. And if, if people are, are interested in building community or making music with you or connecting with that, the, the, best, the best way to reach you as of now would be... Yeah, Instagram is, my, is easy. Just at Luke Cohen, L-U-K-E-K-O-H-E-N. Cohen name. with a K. Cohen with a K. L-U-K-E-K-O-H-E-N. H-E-N. Yeah. Same thing with my website, LukeCohen.com. Yep. So, yeah. uh, cool. And then why... I mean, I, I love what you're saying. I'm, I'm sort of curious as to what attracted you to Bali specifically. We're in we're in Bali now. We're in Bali. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think so. Yeah. Our physical bodies, at least, are yeah, here. Yeah, we're here. <laughs> and uh, what what was it what was it exactly that um that that, that that led you here? I mean, maybe not so much the sort of subtle the subtleties led you here, but yeah. some of the some major of the practical. Yeah. yeah. Some yeah. of the tangible yeah. realities that brought you here. Yeah. So um. I mean, Bali's been on the on the radar for a, for a bit for me. Was was on the radar. I came here in 2018 touring. I was here to play some shows and uh, lead some workshops um, and some some ceremonies. And uh, yeah, life life brought me here, and I, I sort of fell in love. I was like, okay, it's 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 as awesome as people have said it to be, and um, that's cool. And I think I'll definitely be back. And then came back last year. Uh, for Bali Spirit through my, my buddy Samuel J to play to to accompany him in some community work we were doing some work with some orphan some um, some orphanages and, and bringing them onto the main stage. So you initially came here several years ago. 2018 for Two music. 2018 for music and it was just a temporary visit. Yeah, two months. 2018 came came last huh. year just for Bali Spirit Fest. Decided to stay longer. That turned into a six month complete sabbatical like i, I like wow stopped. so I, you had a return flight to i didn't even buy a return flight i bought a one-way so you bought a one-way to bali spirit festival 2018 2019 2019 yeah. planned on spending maybe one or two months and then and that turned into you a six months six month the island resonated with yeah, you so well yeah, that you yeah, extended yeah. that stay and where where had you and at that point you're like okay listen bali's the something's jam. keeping me here I, yeah. I imagine though i mean how, how old are you approximately my, body, my body's 37 37 yeah so you were 35, 36, 35, 36 at the time. Mm-hmm. So I imagine you had already probably established something somewhere else, right? I mean, where were you living? Yeah, I was based on the island of Maui in Hawaii for about mm. three years. And then I had just moved everything over to Boulder, thinking that my new life was going to wow. start in Boulder, which is a very awkward jump to go from Hawaii to Boulder to then Bali. So Well, my- I can see Hawaii <laughs> to Bali. Yeah. Hawaii to stop Boulder. in Boulder. Yeah. Well, Boulder, you know, the, the middle of the mountains of Colorado. Yeah. In the, you know. In the snow. In the center of the United States yeah. uh, to Bali. I mean, I could see the, I could see the you know, similarities to Hawaii and, and Bali. But, yeah. But, but that seems like. It was a like weird a, pit stop. Yeah. It's a bit, well, you know, well, relax good. and recharge the batteries a little, I guess. Uh, so, so that's a big move. Yeah. And you base that predominantly on. Let's say the top th- two or three or four reasons that you found, you know, when you on that initial six months here, yeah, in Bali after the Bali Spirit Festival mm. in 2019, mm. what was it specifically that made you say, oh yeah 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 Bali yeah 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 this is this is this is the spot? I think the number one reason is that the prayer field here. So the 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 fact that the indigenous culture is still in intact and that there is a palpable frequency and energy that that emits that my soul resonates with Mm. and so as someone who's studied closely with and 
immersed in different indigenous communities around the world over the years, um, that is something that those value systems and that way of being with life mm. really inspires me and, and nourishes my spirit. And so the how the Balinese people make their offerings every day, you know, the, the respect, you know. And, and I think that the culture is being challenged by the modern world. Don't get me wrong. Not every Balinese person is, you know, fully honoring the environment as their Trihita Karana philosophy would, you know, ask. But um, a lot of them also are. And so the, the overall culture of the people and the, just the open heartedness and the kindness. Bali felt like a 24 hour festival to me. <laughs> when I got here and I was like wow like I need to like make sure I, I take naps and like go to bed early some nights because it's this is feeling like a 24-hour kind of festival situation and in a booth just to be clear not in corona times and uh, just to be clear yeah. when you say festival correct like, me if I'm wrong specifically transformational festival yeah Right, mm. and not not the aspect of this festival with like the drinking, no, partying, no. no, like the yoga and the, like the healthy food and and the, then the people and connection. Yeah, like which is workshops. There's a fundamental there. difference yeah, there. I want I want to be yeah. clear about that. Awesome. Yeah, great um, great differentiation point. Bro. Yeah, yeah, because those are two, you know. It's not Bonnaroo. <laughs> it's not. It's not. You know. It's definitely not. Yeah. <laughs> so you know that's that's interesting. I, I want to. Let's 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 go back a little bit, if you will, to what 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 you found and have discovered to be some of the fundamental reasons that the Balinese people, as well as a lot of the Westerners that Westerners and Easterners and just you know non-Balinese that have yeah. have gravitated towards this place, what would you say these the, the sort of the the, the the fundamental tenets are that have allowed this sense of spirituality amongst this community on this island to prevail because it, it's been it's not just the past few years it's the no, past few centuries for, millennia for a long time yeah. yeah and as a lot of the world has sort of conformed and sort of resonated uh, you know uh re resigned to a you know more contemporary less spiritual life it seems bali's really been able to hold this land and its people sacred yeah. and you know I think a lot of it has to do with sort of the, the animist, the animist influence. Um, for those of you that don't know what animus, animis, animism is, it's sort of the relationship where uh, of, of of humans with nature and the and the spiritual and and, and the the god force that's essentially found in nature, which mm -hmm. is why you know banyan trees you know will often be decorated with yellow robes and yeah. things like that. Essentially, it's if, you, if you've seen Avatar, yeah. Um, if you've done your your homework, <laughs> then then you then animus animism is basically how an avatar there's that spiritual tree that's like the mecca of uh, yeah. uh, of spirituality and, and and godliness. That's sort of what animus is in a nutshell. And you have that sort of mixed with this form of sort of Hinduism that that arrived Balinese Hinduism, yeah. Balinese Hinduism, and 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 those have have really remained strong. And it's interesting because you know it's you know you. You have one of the most, if not the most, populous Muslim nations in the world, in yeah, Indonesia. Yeah, it's one island out of 17,000. That's the only Hindu island where the rest are dominantly Muslim. And somehow, this place has not only been able to... Coexist. And be in not only been able to coexist with other races and religions, but also, in a sense, thrive in its spirituality. And mm -hmm. a lot of religious pilgrims, mm -hmm. who have arrived from all over 
the world, such yeah. as yourself, I would say, uh, more or less, um, find that spirituality within themselves that, that already exists within them here in that connection. And I'm wondering, what do you, how, how do you think this island is able to maintain that connection with nature and with God and with spirituality in the universe? I mean, I think the, the island's still being challenged to maintain that because of, you know, it's 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 one of those situations that's a double-edged sword. Like, I feel like the Rona is illuminating the gaps in all our global systems of where, like, if tourism actually continued at the rate that it was, Bali wouldn't be in a sustainable mm. situation. And and there is a there's a double-edged sword with the culture here, in terms of like the expat aspect because it's it's soft colonialism at the same time and so it's there's this edginess of like how to how to come humble and 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 find right relations with our our relatives here that we're we're all you know we're a guest on foreign land and and you know what i was taught by my indigenous elders was to always ask permission and make offerings you know so coming from somewhere else it's like how can i serve how can i be in right relations as a primary orientation where Many people come here and they're like, oh my God, what do I get and how do I get and what, what, how is this going to serve me versus mm. how can I be in service to this island? And so I think the only way that this island can continue to flourish and be a safe space for the transformation of consciousness on this planet as it is a beacon point um, and, and, you know, it's a great trend, like in terms of the grid lines of, of, of our earth, there's a trend, you know, it's transmuting a lot of energy and holding, holding kind of like a balance point. It's the, the, the Vedic astrologers that ordained this place thousands of years ago that brought Hinduism here recognize this place as kind of like a navel of creation. And so the only way that that can be sustained is that if the people that come here can bring that respect, if, if the people that are here can integrate in, in deeper connection with the Balinese and that we can find those ways to safeguard the environment not only from a spiritual side point, but a very practical side point around the plastic, around consumption, around, you know, um, yeah, the impact that capital can have in these spaces and, and where just the order or like the, the orientation of, of, of respect, you know, for, for our, our beautiful so, hosts, you know? So you're saying sustainability, not just in a physical aspect, both. I'm, well, I was I was speaking more to the in, inverse first. Okay. That it's easy to go to like a lot of the the expat community that's here likes to go to the spiritual first as a default orientation. Let's go to let's go to the etheric and the multidimensional. But but I I actually want to flip that and say let's let's actually look at the practical first. Let's start there. Let's start looking the, at the, the physical tangibilities. Tangibilities yeah. and and the relational the relate like to me like all these things in community across the board and entrepreneurship and like all these different situations, it's, we need to focus on the relational first and let the goals and let the, the, what you get things, you know, <laughs> come second to the building, the actual, uh, relationships. Well, yeah. I and mean, also with a good tangible foundation, I mean, those yeah. things will, will evolve. Can naturally. evolve. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like top down, bottom up, whatever your approach is. I like both. So, that that that's that's a lot of what attracted you to Bali. Is you saw out of all the places, and you seem like a well-traveled individual, and we don't know each other that well. But you seem like you've been to some places, been to some places, and you know <laughs> some things. Yeah. Um. So the fact that you chose Bali, um, and saw this as one of the best places, if not the best place in the world, to be able to develop 
in a sustainable way that's both practical as well as spiritual and maintain that sense of connection, you know, in the development of that process, what, what are, what are the, what, what's, what's the plan? What's the plan as of, yeah. as of, I mean, look, anywhere, anywhere I would end up if it, you know, it could have been Costa Rica, it could have been Mexico, it could have been, you know, somewhere in Boulder, could have been Boulder. My, my goal or where life has been guiding me is to find how to build deep coherence with the people that resonate with the similar value systems and then start to implement things on a practical grounded level that create actual physical, tangible change in the world. I see part of my Dharma as creating a new culture. Like I'm here Mm. as one of many leaders, one of many stewards to help anchor a new culture where our value systems of the next seven generations are actually honored and implemented in our businesses, in our relationships, in our, and how we orient. And so we're in this massive consciousness shift on the planet where some of the ideals that we've held and where the rubber meets the road are are being challenged. And we have to start to actually put a foot into that new paradigm in a really grounded way. So right now it's for me, it's always going to be looking at land. How can I create a physical space Mm. for people to gather that live with regenerative permaculture principles? There's a lot of tangibility in that. Yeah. It's grounded, you know, like living on the land, observing for a year, where the water flows, how to honor the living systems. Yeah. I want more of that. I've always been an advocate for that, but it's like for in this stage of my life, I'm ready to do that. Right. I mean, that's true too. You know, it's easy to become cynical in the, uh, what, 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 what we call it? the, uh, the transformational, uh, communities and in the, sure. the, the, the spiritual circles that a lot of us, uh, d- dwell in. Uh, it, it's easy to become cynical because you can say, okay, yeah, the meditation was nice, and now you're eating a, a, a you know, an energy bar out of a plastic container. Uh, what the, what the heck? So, yeah, yeah. so, d- one of the beautiful things about land, and I don't really want to call it ownership as much as I want to call it stewardship. stewardship. Yeah. <laughs> um, of of land is that it really allows people to have the ability to walk the walk mm-hmm. instead of just, you know, talking the talk. And I found, you know, from, from a really practical perspective, it is the only real thing that has any, uh, tangible value for the any long tru- haul. Yeah, yeah. Any true value, yeah. any form of wealth. And if you speak on, you speak on the, the, the seven generations, correct me if I'm wrong, that the, 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 the native American philosophy of seven generations, what we do yeah. now, yeah, we do for the next seven generations. And also the healing work you do goes seven generations back, ripples through time. And through having property that's secured, that we are stewards of, you think is the best way. I think that if you want to actually be a part of a, parentheses, our evolution, um, grow your own food. Oh, uh, yeah. So, you know, these are the kinds of things that, you know, I've, I've held ideals around and have supported places that are living them, but that I'm mm. really interested in this stage of my life to, to live more into myself. Like, I've spent a lot of time living in eco-villages, in permaculture farms, places like that, doing my work online, but, like, immersing in that. 
and and life is saying, yeah, it's time to start to steward a, p- a particular piece of property. I've had a project that I've wanted to do for a long time, and it's it's, it's time to move that forward. What, what prevented you from doing that in Costa Rica? Like, why um, not Costa because, Rica or Boulder? Or I mean, there was the, the, those are all it's all happening. I feel like my work has been more galvanizing connection and building some local resilience and and moving some of the denser energy that needed to make space for this to be a cultural norm. So I've been more trailblazing both on a practical level with with connections and raising funds and and, and bringing players into relationship with each other, but also on a, you know, energetic level, actually having some of the harder conversations to move the energy into a space where this this could be like um, have an easier way of landing, so to speak. So, so in choosing Bali, you think that that's a, a way to sort of, uh, I didn't choose Bali. Bali, Bali chose you. Yeah. I mean, that like, it, it sounds kind of like that could be taken from a bunch of different angles, but I, I don't, I don't, can. I don't go anywhere in the world unless I'm guided and I get like, I feel like life is actually pulling me there. Like, it's not like I, I like spin a, spin a globe and I put my finger down and, or like I feel some kind of mental impulse and project and a, a construct around. It's literally like so, over the years, my, my compass has been fine-tuned to where I go, where yeah. I'm guided to go. How do you remove the 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 ego from the connection with the spirit or the universe in order to to get those messages and allow yourself to be guided in that process? We have to do shadow work. We have to be like a lot of the shamanic traditions before they were like half baked in our kind of new age cultures. Um, the reason there was predatory totems was to stalk your own subconscious egoic tendencies, because the farther we climb on the ladder of consciousness, and the more spiritual tools we get, and the more power we accumulate, there's still a space where that the unconscious can utilize those aspects for their for its own agenda and for its own, you know, compensation mechanisms or survival mechanisms. And so, we need systems of accountability, um, whether that's through healthy peer counsel, where reflections are offered, or we have mentors that we go to, where we get confronted in our in our own BS, um, so that we're not just maintaining a persona that is just the preferred ways that we interact with the world, but we're actually meeting the content that lives deep within us that can lead to a behavioral set of choices that would be egoic, so to speak, despite the spiritual connection or knowledge or tools. That's interesting. So the darker totems and the scarier aspects of spirituality are in a sense reflection of the shadow of oneself well you think look at like a jaguar in uh say like uh in south america mayan or yeah jaguar medicine or or condor medicine or eagles like these are all predatory birds right so you're you're stalking that aspect of the consciousness we we it's like you know so like if you go from a yoga tradition there's this idea of destroying or killing the ego which is a very piscean age construct you have to get rid of it in, in in an aquarian age we integrate the ego we recognize that the ego is a servant to the to the soul 
know, the mind is a servant to the heart, that whole kind of concept. Um, in, in Toltec shamanism and in some of the, like, Tibetan systems, you know, the, the wrathful deities, these kind of things, it's like, it's recognizing that this whole, this whole play, this whole powerful screen of consciousness is a reflection of our own, our own consciousness. And so we, we have to include those elements to keep ourselves in check mm. so that we don't, because that's what that actually like <laughs> will cr- end up creating more harm. Even if our intentions are good, if we don't have those parts of our subconscious in check of the unconscious and to keep, to keep, this is what was, so this is shadow work. Yeah. Sure. And to keep these darker aspects, to keep these darker aspects of ourself in check for, and let, let, let's just talk about just the, just the average person out there. Okay. Mm-hmm. For a second, let's not talk about, you know, you and me who have the ability to go wherever we want in the We're world, pri- whatever privileged we want. AF to, yeah, yeah, to do whatever, literally to do whatever we want, whenever we want in world. How does the average person who doesn't have, you know, Access, a, li- yeah. a lifetime or, or years or even days mm-hmm. to really dedicate themselves fully to shadow work and conquering their inner demons or, or, or conquering their inner, their inner Jaguar? Um, <laughs> how, how, how would you, what, what would you say to them? What's a good way sort of like in a nutshell to sum it up like something that they could do every day? a bit of that will allow them to do that shadow work, conquer their demons, uh, make peace, you know, make peace with the demons, conquer the Jaguar and, and, and live more harmonious with them themselves than others. It's a, it's a joining with the Jaguar. It's allowing the Jaguar to consume the parts that want to control life. <laughs> but yeah, I get what you're saying. Um, you know, for the, there's a, there's a quote that, um, one of my, uh, the people that's that's supported me is you know when we get off the battlefield then then we can grieve hmm. and a lot of people are still on the battlefield and so the tools are going to be different and they're grieving on the battlefield well they don't even have time to grieve on the battlefield because they're still in the fight and so shadow work often is really available to those that are off the battlefield but the version of shadow work that can happen while you're in the fray is is where the oppressive forces will will through the contrast of that draw out the most resilient parts of you so i wasn't always this you know like yes i've had privilege in my life but i haven't always been as privileged as i am now so to speak and so there were stages in my life that i was up against a form you were in my, the battlefield my yeah that i was on the battlefield and so the tools then that's what forged the resilience in me that i then led led me through life like i found my resilience that got me out of unsafe situations that I eventually found as an undying aspect of my consciousness. And how did you find that resilience? The contrast, man, sometimes. You know, that's that's the thing that's hard. When you're in it, you can't see it. You have to, you get, some things we just have to survive. We have to survive our way through it. And there's, then There's got to be a way to see when you're in it. I mean, it sounds like you sort of did. I mean, you had to sort of see that you were in it and what was going on while you were on that yeah. battlefield before you were able to you know, as you would say in the saying, you know, leave the battlefield and then have the space and time to grieve. Yeah. Well, I, I think that, yeah, like for example, like Nelson Mandela spent like 30 years in in prison and fortified a quality of compassion and, and soul power. And so in, in, in the world that we live in, true embodied soul power in the face of oppression is like one of the most terrifying things to the, to the powers that would try to 
enslave humanity's consciousness, right? And so anyone who's in any kind of oppressive situation, their their unique soul's existential challenge with life, their their struggles, you have the opportunity through contrast to discover the part of you that's undying, that is that is love, that is pure, that is, uh, there's a source of power there that isn't dependent on the external world at all. It's a resource within in that sometimes the fight with the outside pushes us it, ref it refines that diamond within the coal, so to speak, to find that part of your being that is the soul, that is that is the source of love and power and resilience. So in a way, the struggle itself is what allows us to find the liberation from the struggle. For some people and for a lot of people, yeah, I think so. And how, how do people, I mean, how do, how do people recognize, let's say, okay, uh, I, I, we don't, you know, we're not going to talk too much about the U.S. election right now. It's crazy. No one... You know, there's a lot of both oh, sides are never going to really know of something. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we can't we can't speak about it. I, I I guess there's a summation I could offer really quick around that. Yeah, 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 go for it. Everyone wants to go to blaming and pointing the finger outside of self instead of taking full self responsibility. That's the in essence, everyone's giving their power away to outside leader, either fearing they'll be destroyed by one of the person or the other is going to save. So, yeah, which so, basically disempowers the individual. Massively. And so it's one of the hardest things to do in any situation, whether you're in an intimate relationship or you have a perceived enemy, is take full self-responsibility for your own emotional experience. That is the hardest thing to do for a human ego. Okay, so that's good. So that's a tangible yes. example of what can lead yes. the individual to personal liberation. Yes. Taking full self responsibility for your emotional experience which without blame without necessarily. Blame. Well, the blame when when you're in blame, that's a great indicator that you're moving out of personal power and into not wanting to feel something because you're now focused on the outside world and you want to change it, control it, fix it, or get rid of it. And once you're in that energy, you're moving out of center and away from the emotional content within you that that trigger is trying to get your awareness and attention to meet. So people that are at home right now that are kind of stressing out and feeling a bit of anxiety and are, you know, making an omelet right now or preparing, <laughs> preparing, preparing their dinner or whatnot. And they're listening to this, so a, a good takeaway, a good sort of summarization of what they can do right now is basically stop pointing fingers and listen to meet the internal content that's there that you might be avoiding in some way whether it's through blame or numbing or disassociating we all have the ways that we survive really big feels i think that our country and humanity as a general doesn't doesn't have grieving rituals mm. we need to grieve there's there's rage there's anger anger is a sacred no to some of the oppression it's all welcome it's just humanity doesn't know that they're in a dark night of the soul facing their core wounds. And there's nothing wrong with that, right? There's absolutely There's nothing, nothing wrong with being at that point. No. We're all, we're all there in some degree. Yeah. It, it's percentages and stages. And so, you know, like some of the like access that I got to my rage at a stage of my journey may look different now than someone who's just accessing their core rage, their courage to feel it because of someone like Donald Trump. They're, act, they're still or accessing... Or Joe Biden. Or Joe Biden. You know, whatever, whatever is your, the external force that is, is whether you like it or not moving emotional energy for you, there's something there to look at. That's, that's where the, the daily life becomes the dojo from a shadow work perspective. It's like, you know, I have, I have clients that run companies or CEOs and, and, and 
they have the area where they feel like they can really progress, right? Like like they have the pocket, they go to the gym or they go they go to this one section and they and they train. And it's like, no, what if what if your entire like your everyday moment to moment entire existence is the dojo? What is the feedback mechanism in the universe that's inviting you to to feel something? So and, so what if know? the world that we're living in is the dojo it that is. we're practicing? Yeah. That's that's living. that's the practical piece that we're talking about. Yeah. So what 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 was the catalyst? What it was specifically? What was the catalyst for for you, that where where you began the journey of 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 shadow work and you know making that transformation from whoever you were or whoever you thought you were before <laughs> to whoever you are now? That's a great great way of phrasing it. Yeah. So um, I lost my brother-in-law in 9/11. He was a firefighter, and I was a freshman in in college when that happened and that pretty much devastated my reality on some level um and so that that grief that happened never had like an outlet like i didn't even i couldn't even fathom or access the level of grief that that invoked and the way that my lifestyle was set up i was training to be a martial art like i was deep in the martial arts i was training to be an mma fighter i was a very competitive basketball player and athlete track runner and i would just push myself so hard in those situations and then I equally had a self-destructive side that was numbing that grief so I would like play 10 full court games of basketball eat like a really shitty like chicken McNugget meal go to the gym and lift and spar and grapple and box and like go boozing and blowing lines and like that caught up to me I, I didn't know I had a hypersensitive nervous system I didn't know I was an empath I didn't have any of the context for my healing gifts at that stage of my life and so my body completely gave out so at 22 I, I woke up semi-crippled like I had like a minor spinal injury and then I literally was walking with a cane overnight I went from running like you know 2k you know like two mile runs to, to literally walking with a cane overnight and that devastated my identity and ego at the time and that loss of agility forced me to go inward and how long after the loss of your brother-in-law in 9-11 he was in one of, one of the towers, yeah. and he was a fireman who was trying to rescue people, yeah. essentially, and he was lost his life. How long after that moment? How long after 9-11-2001? I'd say that I had moments of grace and like exposure to something bigger. When did you wake up with the four debilitating? Years, four years later. So it was basically four years of incubation of pain yeah. and loss. And sometimes it, it, it takes like... It takes time, right? Because that's, that's, it's building up, and it's a yeah. wound. It's, it's a hurt. It's a pain that's building up. Sure. And instead of confronting it, you, you were doing things that a lot of people from the outside would oh. say those are successful things. I mean, Normal. you know, becoming a, uh, you know, becoming a professional MMA fighter, becoming a champion in the fields that you're in. People from the outside would look at that and say, hey, this guy's, this guy's defeating, you know, he doesn't need to grieve. He's yeah. strong. He's, He's strong. He's strong. So yeah, he's tough. He, look, he lost his brother-in-law in the in the twin towers, and he's running marathons and yeah. you know playing however many rounds of basketball yeah. a day. But internally, internally, I was torn. I was being torn apart. And that's not sustainable. No, so that's going to catch up one way or another eventually. And that's what's happening on a global scale right now. And you had your. I guess physical epiphany, approximately four later, years later, where you went, basically, from 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 day to night, you went from being peak performance, 
completely athletically fit the 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 role model for the physique of the modern uh you know american I mean, male I, mean, I, didn't, to, I didn't have like a six pack or yeah, you don't need but, to be well this is before your modesty it's okay <laughs> this was before your modesty and you went from that to waking up to pretty much needing a cane and having a debilitating spinal injury and you said hey yeah so in that in that that space of disillusionment when i was in that i had i had gotten a uh, a birthday gift certificate uh, i think it was like tj maxx or something and i found this <laughs> i found this cast iron teapot and i was just super attracted to it and I, I bought this teapot like four months before this happened or something and i started drinking tea it was just it just became part of my lifestyle out of nowhere and one day i was drinking tea during this time and i was sitting in the acceptance of my of my reality i was like really i'm like wow i can't like I'm, I don't want to do drugs anymore. I don't want to like keep living this way. And the things that were wholesome and healthy that gave me a break from my mind and my own internal demons has been taken away from me. Like, what do I even do? And I remember being in this like deep contemplation and just, I, I just dropped into a, a kind of spontaneous meditation where I closed, I just closed my eyes and I went in and I, and I accessed what I call the living stillness of the universe. And drink, drinking that tea, I accessed like uh, an, ac an aspect of my soul and I accessed the feeling in that feeling state of, of that living stillness. I went into a timeless, you know, it could have been a half hour, it could have been an hour, it could have been 10 minutes. It didn't really matter. I came out of it with the feeling of this is what I've been looking for my whole life. This is just regular tea. This is just some dope green tea. Simple, some, yeah. Some, some good green tea. Yeah. And there is essentially where you had your epiphany. Yeah, I had and a, where I, you had that connection with God or the universe, the spirit, the living stillness of the universe. And you made a conscious decision at that point to make a change and dedicate yourself. More. What, what happened was that my like in that resurrection of that feeling state and recognizing that that's something I've been looking for my whole life, that I tasted in flow states during basketball. I tasted it in moments mm. climbing mountains. I tasted it in moments in sexuality. I tasted it in moments of psychedelics this was the feeling I was looking for and that, that I would devote my life to that feeling. To embodying that feeling yes. and having, living with it in a more permanent way. Yeah, that at least, I, you know, permanent, I don't know, like that, I just knew I had to... And at that point, that's, that, that's when you moved to Hawaii. No, 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 this is like, I'm, a, I'm like a, my last year of college in New York. I, I graduated school and went right to India. Okay. Because of this Namaste. feeling. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow, that's, pr that's pretty intense. So, so it sounds like you're... Like people can reach that moment, that that epiphany or that that pivotal moment that allows them to sort of confront themselves, confront their shadows, and begin that transformation process of of healing into becoming a more more perfect being. It, it can happen to anyone. Well, and I, don't, I don't know that there's any amount of effort that I could have done to bring that about. And this is where, like, some of the illusions around the spiritual path is like... Right, because a lot of people know. think, okay, I got to do a 10-day a Vipassana. And you found, I mean, you had some tragedy and you had some intensity. Mm -hmm. And then you bought a teapot and you were drinking tea. And one day, yeah. So yeah. so it seems more that, correct, correct me if I'm wrong, from your perspective, from my perspective as well, um, that... Moments like that can appear without without needing to do anything extra special. You just have to sort of be present and I, be. I believe in the in in karma. I yeah. believe in in that we have destiny appointments. 
we have we can create favorable circumstances through our our free will but that there's um there's going to be chapters in the movie that are that are so far out of our control <laughs> that um it's really like like at some point in my journey over the years reflecting back because when my when i mer- like my soul merged with me a week after that experience mm. and i can see where my soul had been with me my whole life up until that point and then moving forward with the conscious choice to to let that energy guide my life, I can see over the years where my own spiritual evolution or my own process wasn't even up to me. Mm. Like there was nothing that my personality could have done. Like no amount, no amount of ayahuasca ceremonies or or certain things that that give me gave me the illusion of control that could have brought about some of the things that I was meant to discover and find and and move through, which is both liberating and extremely disorienting depending on which angle you're looking well yeah i mean yeah that's it's <laughs> it can be a bit intimidating uh at the same time I, you know i'm trying i'm trying to differentiate here between blame blaming the universe blaming yeah. things and at the same time accepting things as they are right because so, it so- sounds like there's yeah. there's uh, i just want to no this is great this i want to make the distinction for yeah. people yeah so the distinction is life is happening for you not to you right and, and, and life is happening for you not to you we're part of that process and you can balance saying hey i'm part of something greater without blaming those that something greater for for any personal feelings you may be having listen if you're in a human body on the earth you have a percentage of trauma and therefore victimization consciousness we're here to overcome victimization and become triumphant as souls and when we move from victimization into empowerment we move from life is happening to me to life is happening for me and that doesn't happen overnight it happens in stages and percentages and moments and revelations of accessing that part which like it's it's embodied and irrefutably felt that life is happening for you Mm. and there are going to be moments where it feels like it's happening to you and we just have to exhaust those experiences enough or have enough grace in moments to see when oh wow this is actually happening so that's that's important I, i want people to to pay attention to what you just said there yeah that be be aware and be conscious that even when the world feels like it's completely against you or, you know, you've got a ton of pressure and stress to just take a breath and say, hey, you know what? This is happening with me. This is happening for me. This is not happening to me. We're all part of this process. And as long as I allow the universe and myself the space to be, that I can heal. And even if it feels like it's happening to you, that's okay. Like, that's the one that needs love and presence and connection. It's really hard to love our own victim. It's hard, and that's why people go to blame. That's why people go to different coping mechanisms. And this is where people are can be really hard on themselves because it's, it is hard to love that victim aspect of our consciousness. It's a very well, Yeah, because there's a certain feeling. amount of guilt. It says, oh, I'm not weak. I'm not a victim. Right? People people have a tough time. Or really identifies with the victim. Poor me as an identity. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's kind of, it's a, it's a, right. And, and both of those two things are toxic. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Neither one of those things. But I don't want to. I don't want to create a, create a like an ideal around it. Call it whatever you want. Toxic and disempowering, not not serving ultimately. But the, but that if if there's an ideal around it and people are feeling pressured, then the acceptance that's required to transmute it can be can be skipped. Because the part of how the victim heals is through actually accepting it and loving it. You can't just get rid of it. Is and that, that it is that's basically shadow work. That that acceptance that is a huge piece of it is 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 the shadow being work. Being with what is. So as a as a society, do we also collectively have shadow work? Oh yeah. It's like, a, not just the individual, not just, you know oh, man. personal shadow work. It's archetypes, man. You know, like we have we all have our slice of the sacred wound. Yeah, and there's archetype that shows up with the masculine, the feminine. It shows up in race. It shows up in nation states. It shows up between institutions and 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 disenfranchised people. It's it's society in its current form has been birthed out of value systems that don't serve all of life, and so there's an inherent dysfunction in our current systems. And until we recognize how those dysfunctions have created dysfunction within and between us the society can't change. Mm. It will continue to perpetuate, you know, itself. But it takes individuals choosing to free themselves and liberate themselves mm. of their own suffering and to find the distortions and programs that come from such value systems and aspects of the culture that set them up for failure from the start. And as an individual, you find Bali to be the <laughs> ideal place. <laughs> I'm not... You know, I'm not. It doesn't have to for, be for you, right? right. Well, for, not, for me, for right now. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, I mean, I I agree. That's why I'm asking. I mean, I, I'm here. I'm here also. We're here. For, we're here right now for a reason, for sure. I don't want to like make it all about Bali. I think like I want people to, like you can wherever find, you are, wherever you, you are, Detroit. right now. Yeah, if you're in, if you're in the, you know, like Brooklyn, where you at? Like, shout out to Brooklyn. Shout out to Staten Island. Shout represent. out to yeah. The, <laughs> shout out First to Queens and, and Bronx. You know. My mom's from Queens. My dad's from the Bronx. You know, I grew up in Staten Island, in Brooklyn, and I, I played a lot in Manhattan, as I call it. Yeah. You know, it's it's a, you, you can do it wherever you are, despite your environment. Mm. It's that's real, and so Bali just happens to be the form that my internal state is reflecting back to me. Yeah. But if I was in New York City, I'd still be living in my heart. Yeah. You know, I might have to have a little bit more of my guard up. <laughs> That's where, you know, I know how that goes, but, you know, it's great. I get to be here and I get to let my guard down. Yeah. That's my choice. That's my own, where I'm at in my soul journey as a, as a preference, as, Less, a, yeah. as a personal choice. But I'm, I don't want it to be like, yo, you need to be in Bali to access that. Right, um, right, right. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is why I was saying yeah. earlier, it's like someone that's just at home making an omelet right now. Or, you know, preparing dinner or yeah. driving somewhere. That's the dojo. You know, listen to this. Wherever they are, that, the is their, that is their dojo. Wherever that is you their are, place of practice. That's, we can, that's the name of this podcast and, today. And, and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, and they're, they're able to do that shadow work wherever they be, as long as they're open to that. As long as there's willingness, man. And they're not blaming everybody and everything for everyone. And they, and they, and they allow themselves that 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 time to have that personal you gotta, you gotta prioritize it 
you got to see the value in doing shadow work before you do shadow work because it's humbling. It's not fun. It's not like, mm. oh, yeah, let's go do some shadow work. It's amazing. Yeah, woo. It's like, <laughs> oh, my God, this is like some of the most confronting possible thing I could yes, ever, ever be doing. And, and like I have to like die to who I thought I was because there's some feelings in there that I literally built an identity around to avoid. Ego. Call it ego. I, I, I prefer a bioenergetics understanding of ego as inner child and and the way that the inner child you know navigated its reality to survive it's not i don't want to continue the paradigm of ego shaming and condemning no 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 shame no but just even in the word it's like ego it's like what does that even mean what does that even mean uh an idea personally i I see it as like uh and i an idea of what someone is and Uh, you know, an, an overly inflated or lo- overly large ego would be a someone thinks uh, that their self is greater, greater or less than, greater or less than. Yeah. There's inferior ego structures in, in or existence. superior ego structures. Um, but essentially, it, it's it's a survival mechanism. Uh, it's an overstimulated nervous system in survival. That's all that ego is. And so, if we give it a better context, then we can actually have a little more compassion for that part of ourselves or others, and we're not going into condemning other people for having an for having an anus it's like we all got one man so how like you know are you are you sunbathing yours are you are you like you know what are you doing (laughs) like what are you doing to integrate your ego so it doesn't run your reality that's the thing that people don't like they don't like when they see someone who has an ego that's running their reality or that flavor of how they compensate or survive their reality has a distasteful frequency and rubs up on someone else. I think Kanye West is an interesting example of that. Yeah, well, you know, Kanye, you Kanye West has also been, also been MK Ultra, so you gotta have some compassion for that guy. It's uh, <laughs> a whole other subject. <laughs> Bookmark. <laughs> um, well, have you? Did you? Did you hear his recent interview on, on Joe Rogan? I've heard about it, but I haven't watched it. And what I heard was like. Wow, he's actually like pretty woke, but he has a massive ego. Right. That's I, well, this ironic, is one of my right? questions. Well, <laughs> I mean, pe- people are a- attracted to people that are confident. I, I mean, I've met. Look, at, I, I've, you know, I have, Joe Rogan and I have a lot of mutual friends. I've, you know, hung out with him a few times. I've met Kanye West. We also have mutual friends. I've hung out with him a few times. Both those guys used to be a lot different mm-hmm. than they are now. And the interesting thing about that interview is I relate to both sides of that conversation. I relate to Joe Rogan's side and Kanye West's side. And my question is, okay, someone like Kanye West who appears to have a massive ego, is that is that really out of context? Or is is, is what we're witnessing with him and him running for president and the things he's talking about, about, you know, feeding the feeding the poor and just you know we don't have to get in the whole thing mm-hmm. i just i just my question is he seems like a conduit for the universe and higher power and the things he's saying kanye or, I agree or, or kanye specifically and big souls have big challenges are gonna have some are gonna have big egos right i mean when he says something like oh i created a five billion dollar empire yeah i don't see that as him having a huge ego. A huge ego. I see him as that him accepting a reality and bringing attention to that and explaining how that he can apply that to the betterment of humankind. So, so, so here's the thing. 
did Kanye do that to compensate for a deep sense of unworthiness? Or not? Well, this is what I'm asking. Someone, <laughs> someone that's extremely successful. Yeah. Okay? So someone that... And, and all the physical sense of success and materialism. Lots of money, lots of business, uh, lots of play, friends, lots of world travels, lots of girlfriends or boyfriends. Yeah. Can, can, is it okay to say, hey, I am extremely successful in all these rights, and at the same time still be able to balance that with, I have this shadow work I need to do, and I'm able to also be humble and modest about things. Like, can you say, okay, I am very successful, and well, at here, the same time I have a lot of here's work that Here's the difference. I'll just tell, I'll give an example of difference. Ownership. Ownership over your reality and your experience and over your feelings and being authentic. I think ego, egoic or egoicism, when we see it or feel it, is, is simply someone in a moment of compensation. Overcompensation. They're, yeah, they're compensating for something. Yeah. So I could be like, yeah, like I just crushed a six-week online program and made 50K. I'm super stoked about that. I'm excited, and I feel great about it. Like that's ownership. I just and be at like the same time, authentically sharing. Like, or I could be boasting about it, or I could be like putting a little seed out of like, don't you want to know about my like being like? like <laughs> I mean, like, I do. Yeah, yeah I right. do want to know about yeah. the six. <laughs> right, right, right. So like, so here's the thing: is like, we're always going to be up to interpretation. Yeah. It's and success has to be our own metric, our own value system. Like what success is for each individual, not like what society says. And how success we define and, that? Yeah, for me, success is fulfillment. Like. If I'm authentic and I'm in integrity with my own spirit and soul and and and, and at peace. Yeah, and peace yeah. and and there's actual fulfillment, yeah. not just a constant chasing of some perceived state of success, mm. which a lot of people are doing, you know, like that. Like for me, like it's such an in, it's such an inside job ultimately at the end of the day, and then the external becomes more and more of a reflection of our yeah. internal state versus the external becomes a compensation mechanism for the lack of internal state that we've achieved or, or actualized in our people. Right, because at the end of the day, we all we all meet our moment of truth, whether it's four years after the, the passing of a, a brother-in-law in the Twin Towers and waking up with a, a spinal injury or at, at 98 years old on your deathbed. Yeah, yeah. Like, we all reach that moment of truth, and hopefully we reach it sooner than later so that we can do the shadow work before the shadow work is doing us. This is this is why we say we die before we die when it comes to the medicine work or, or ceremony work. We die before we die so that we can recognize those small deaths that life is offering us all the time so that we can live more from our, our eternal nature. We can live more from our our soul self and less from our egoic self. Yeah. And it's not about getting rid of the ego self. It's about integrating it in the mm. Aquarian age. It's like, okay, cool. Where is the ego? So if, if I completely dismantled my ego 100%, I'd be drooling and shitting myself on this podcast right now. Like, I'd be useless. That would be... Uh, That'd be awkward. That would be extremely yeah, awkward. Yeah, so... so <laughs> you would have to be sitting outside. Yeah. But not that it's not a beautiful view out there. <laughs> a beautiful saying, like, view of the mountains. Like, the ego has its place, man. Yeah. You know? But it's it's putting it in its place. Yeah, it's, it's that what, balance. Yeah, it's like, man, you know, because that that served our ability to protect us from some gnarly stuff in childhood or in adulthood yeah or later on in adulthood yeah. because we tend to recreate our subconscious experiences later on in life <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's the thing and that's why i think the the sooner that we can sort of confront our our inner jaguar <laughs> Coming back. or inner condor right 
<laughs> and uh, and deal with that. I think I think the better. And whether you're, you know, on a beautiful island like Bali at a, you know, in a beautiful, you know, music studio doing a, a podcast about consciousness, or yeah. whether you're, you know, in a in a kitchen in Jersey, you know what I mean, having a, a ham sandwich. Like we can all do that work wherever we are, and I think that right. Like I mean, that's, that's one of the beautiful things about spirituality and life awakening. Life is the dojo, right? And there's no discrimination. Life, life, is, life, the life is the dojo. That's the that's the theme of this one. With 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 Luke with Luke with with, with Luke Cohen. <laughs> life is the dojo. Um, I think that's a good place. I actually have. I know you need to go soon. Well, I've got a big I've got a big lunch meeting with this uh this this music composer and with uh this guy who organizes russian ballet um here in bali we won't get into the details of and i want to continue this conversation i feel like we could have easily done a second and third hour so let's 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 have you know let's 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 bring you back at some point in the near future and 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 have you on here and it is a pleasure and an honor Likewise, is there any any is there anything else that you want to just put out there in the next thirty seconds? Is sort of like I, I think I think we're we're pretty good with you know people taking some time to think about their shadows and yeah, how they can you, you know those like and make just, them. just there, be be good to yourself, family. You know, like whatever it is, it's like the the path of self responsibility and ownership is not an easy path, but it's worth it. If you like some of what I'm talking about, I share stuff like this every day, little nuggets, little reminders, little videos. My music's filled with benevolent content content to empower people. You know, everything I'm, that I'm doing is here to empower people. Like, that's what I'm about, is is empowering each other so that we can collectively empower a new culture that serves all and, of life. And hopefully we'll have a chance to hear some of that music next time. Yeah. I don't oh, know when this is going to air, so where where the process of me releasing music is going to be at, but it, it'll it'll hopefully be syn- synchronistic experience. Yeah, let's, this, let's, the, let's <laughs> let, maybe so. <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, thanks thanks for uh, coming on. You guys can find Luke um, across all platforms. Uh, Luke Cohen with a K on Instagram and the all World things. Wide Web and where, wherever else. Thanks for thanks for making the journey here, brother. Yeah, it's man. Good to, good to have you, man. And Likewise, uh, brother. appreciate, appreciate you. yeah, appreciate you, man. Uh, peace and love. Thanks for listening. Uh, until next time, uh, peace and love. Aloha.